Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. Amen. Grab a seat, church. Hey, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Yeah, everybody? Half the room's like, well, it's not really my, my day today. And, and so, to be fair, I know for some of you in the room, this day is an incredibly joyous one. Uh, but I do just want to take a second and talk to those um, who this day is, is kind of hard to get to church. Um, because we do know that uh, infertility is real. We do know that hardship is real and loss is real. Um, and so we want you to know that you are not forgotten today. We love you. We are for you. Uh, and with that, we can still indeed celebrate the fact that, man, moms are awesome. So we're going to continue to celebrate that. Amen, church? All right, good. Um, so uh, uh, let's get down to it. I'm, I'm Peter. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH. Uh, and before we really dig into the text, I want you to know uh, that I'm going to be gone for the next two Sundays. Um, so for some of you who are like, sweet, I'm going to come for the next two Sundays, um, which is great. <laughs> you know, you do you. Uh, my wife and I, we actually get uh, an opportunity to travel to Kenya. Um, and so uh, our church is part of Growing Healthy Churches, GHC, uh, the organization uh, that, that Gilbert was a part of, the organization that largely matched FBH and me together. Um, and so uh, GHC is actually part partnering with a church in Nairobi called Nairobi Chapel. It's one of the largest churches in Kenya. Um, and Nairobi Chapel, what they're doing is they are churning out young leaders uh, at an incredibly rapid pace, so much so that uh, there's mega churches in America who are like glomming on to what are you doing? How are you developing these people so well and so quickly and all of that stuff? And so GHC kind of had the same questions. Um, and so GHC decided that uh, it was a good opportunity for us to, to try to partner with Nairobi Chapel, for GHC to partner with Nairobi Chapel. And they wanted to bring some of, uh, some of GHC's young leaders along. And so they were like, hey, who's the youngest pastor we got at GHC? We should invite Peter to come. And I was like, yeah, as long as my wife can come. Um, and they were like, okay. Um, so we're going to be gone for the next, uh, next two Sundays, uh, but we would really appreciate your prayers as we're gone. You know, we're traveling and grandparents are taking care of the kiddos for that entire amount of time. Um, and so really prayers, not so much for Sarah and I, but more for the grandparents who are watching all five of our kids. Um, but, uh, but we would really indeed, um, appreciate that. It's the longest, you know, for you, you moms out there, it's the longest. My wife has been away from the kiddos. And so, you know, her mommy heart hurts a little bit in that respect as well. So just know that we'll be gone, but your prayers, uh, will be appreciated. Um, so let's, let's get into it. All that to be said, we're going we're gonna to get into it. We are in the middle of a series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. Um, and we largely launched this series because we're, as we look at kind of Christian culture and we look at the different things that, that people say and the axioms that have really made their way into the church, there's a whole lot of things that people say and people assume are biblical, are scriptural, that really aren't. And so uh, in week one, we disprove the claim that God helps those who help themselves. 
right? We, we figured out how that is not biblical. And then last week we talked through the idea that, that just because you're obedient to God doesn't mean that you're gonna receive financial and material blessings. And, and that is one of the, the biggest lies in American Christendom, Christendom today. So we talked through that, and today, since it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk about how we should not judge others. I don't know how those two go together. It's not really a, a Mother's Day type thing, but the lie that we're going to be talking through today is don't judge others. And there's actually, that's our first slide, should be up there for that. Don't judge others. So I just kind of want to warn you. As we get into this, we may be challenging some notions this morning regarding the way that we're supposed to treat other people. Um, this isn't a typical Mother's Day message. Um, uh, it's, it's a long, long way off from the message that I gave last Mother's Day um, when I was preaching for a job here. Um, and we, that we, I've told everybody here from the beginning that we are gonna be incredibly truthful and honest with what the word of God says, and we're not gonna... Uh, we're not gonna go away from that now. Because even the way we think about other people may be challenged this morning. Because there's some of you in here who are like me. And for those of you here in here who are like me, you're people pleasers. You want everybody to be happy, right? Who are the people pleasers in the room, right? Yeah, yeah. Noticed a couple people on my staff raised their hand. Awesome. Um, but, but people pleasers in general, man, you just want people to be happy. If there's an argument, you're like, you know what? It's fine. I don't care. You, you do you. I'll adjust. I'll adapt. It's not that big of a deal. And so there's, there's those type of people who are in the room who are, who are just simply people pleasers. But then there's other of you in here who have a very defined set of rules in your head about how things should or shouldn't work. And you're gonna stick to that regardless of how you make other people feel about that. Any of those people in the room, that should be the other half. You guys are less willing to admit it. You're like, nope, I should, this shouldn't work that way. So I'm not gonna raise my hand, right? So there's the other half of the people who are in the room. And, and when people violate those kind of set of rules that you have in your head, you have some sort of reaction because of it. Maybe you lash out, maybe you silently disapprove, maybe you mention it to your friend next to you about how ridiculous that was. See, I'm actually a little bit of a combination of both. I have a very defined set of rules in my head, um, but I want everybody to also be happy. So I just constantly get in arguments with myself at the same time. So I don't know where I actually land in the midst of this whole thing. So I don't know where you land on that spectrum though, but I tend to give people grace upon grace upon grace because I don't really wanna make anybody upset. I don't really wanna make anybody mad. So I try not to judge people because I want everybody to be happy. I don't wanna ever go forward with a preconceived notion because I want everybody to be my friend and think, oh, Peter's great, right? And there's other people like that in the room. But here's the difficult part about talking through judging is that both groups of people I just described are correct in some small way. Both of us are correct. And here's the beauty and the tension of going to a church service. The beauty and the tension of going to a church service on a Sunday morning are there are people here who have known Jesus for 50 years and who, who are mature in their faith, who open their Bibles uh, regularly, who pray regularly, who are coming here looking to be challenged looking to be sharpened, looking to learn something new and maybe a different way, even though they've heard most sermons before. 
And so they're here looking and hoping to be challenged. And they have this personal study and devotion to Christ and it's led them to incredible maturity. Then there are people in the room who have known Jesus for a shorter amount of time. People who are still asking questions about who he is and about what big words like sanctification and justification and eschatological, like what do these words actually mean, right? And they're starting to dig into those things and they have come to have a saving faith in Christ though. And so they are continuing to be matured. And then there's another group of people in here who are simply looking for a space to belong. The world has shut the door on you. You're searching for answers and maybe someone you know suggested coming to FBH to check us out. Maybe you're here simply because your mom asked you to come to church this morning with her. Great, we're glad you're here. Take from my message what you will, be open to it, snap a picture at our photo booth on the way out, grab some coffee and enjoy your day. But the reality is, is there is that group of people who are in here and you don't know entirely what Jesus being in charge of your life looks like. And you don't care about those big theological words yet. And you simply want to know that it's okay to be in church this morning, exactly how you are. One of the things I want everyone to hear this morning, regardless of who you are or how long you've been in church, is we wanna meet you where you are and love you to where Christ wants you to be. You are simply okay being here this morning. And I need to start with that because I'm gonna get, we're, we're gonna get real this morning, church. For a bunch of people who think that it says, don't judge in the Bible, we do a pretty great job of getting our judgment on. We do an incredible job at calling out other people's immorality we do a great job at talking about how evil the world is. And we do a pretty great job at talking about how much other people need Jesus. And it even tells us specifically in Matthew 7, one to five, this is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible from people who don't follow Jesus. This is what it says. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it tells us right there, that we shouldn't be judging people. Verse one says it as plain as day. Do not judge or you too will be judged. But wait, we're talking about things the Bible doesn't say and you just told me the Bible says don't judge other people. But you're telling me in Matthew 7, 1, it says do not judge or you too will be judged. So we've got a problem, church, because we're judging people all over the place under the muse of wanting what is best for them. What's the deal then with this Verse, great question, Peter. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about that verse, that verse that people quote over and over and over again. The Bible doesn't say, it does indeed say that we shouldn't judge people. But in this instance, it isn't talking about judgment here as much as it's talking about the idea of hypocrisy. So don't come to me and judge me for the same exact sin that you have in your life. Take care of yourself, then come and take care of me. That's what this is saying. 
That's what Matthew 7, 1 through 5 really is talking about. That's the nature of the verse. So now we can all feel better then about going on and judging people again, right? Wrong. The answer to that is actually kind of. And in order to figure out if that is true or not, we need to get to 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be camping in that text today. It's 1 Corinthians 5. You can uh, put your thumb there. I chose a great text and you'll see why for, uh, for Mother's Day in just a few minutes. The city of Corinth though, so Paul is writing to the city of Corinth, right? It's an ancient city in Greece that enjoyed great prosperity due to the incredible wealth it's generated by its massive port commerce. Seafaring people came in and out of Corinth and because of that, it was incredibly wealthy and incredibly diverse. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love was here, which meant it was a luxurious city. And on top of that, it had acquired a reputation of sexual license becoming essentially a tourist attraction to the pagan world. The Corinthians were an incredibly cultured people who were often influenced by the many visitors who would frequent their port on business. So there was just like a whole like, like mashup of spirituality and, and different worldviews and all that stuff that all just kind of collided in Corinth. It really does remind me quite a bit of San Francisco when I read about it. Right, it's a port city. There's a whole bunch of ideas floating around. And hey, you know what? Let's just slam all those ideas together and it's gonna be great. Like, we'll all be good. We can all accept these ideas as one another because we're all spiritual together, right? Wrong. So the city of Corinth though, uh, Christianity came there through Paul on a second missionary journey. He came first into the synagogues. He was preaching Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the scriptures and declaring him as the promised Messiah. So he's going to the Jews first. He's like, look, this is the promised Messiah. Jesus is coming. Pretty soon though, he was run out of the church. People were like, nope. The Jews were like, nope, we're not gonna have that here. Like we have a bunch of these, these new ideas already. We don't need this other new idea too. We're kicking you out. And so what Paul did is Paul took a whole bunch of new converts, most of them not Jewish, took a whole bunch of non-converts or, or new converts and started a church. And most people actually believe that church is right next door to the synagogue, which is hilarious to me. Because Paul's like, fine, you don't want me here? I'm gonna go to your neighbor next door and I'm gonna keep saying the same thing. And I'm gonna say it louder probably so y'all can hear me in the synagogue. It doesn't say that, that's extra biblical. Don't write that down. But so Paul founded this church and he preached the gospel in this house. And, and then once he left, he wrote this letter to the first Christian church in Corinth. And he wrote it in response, both to reports that had come to him in a letter that he had received from the Corinthians and also from first person accounts as well. The Corinthians had misunderstood Paul's message of the gospel. And all of a sudden, they, uh, the, the dissension was created in the church over a ton of different issues. The Corinthians had questions about Paul's leadership. They had questions about Paul's integrity. They had questions about the Lord's Supper. They had questions about marriage and other matters of Christian living. And in sending this letter to them, he had hoped to follow it with a personal visit himself, but he never actually got to follow up with this letter in person. You actually see he wrote 2 Corinthians after that. And many people believe there's actually a third letter to the Corinthian church, but it's not biblical, it's not found, and so we don't need to worry about it. 
So Paul actually deals with a whole bunch of issues that are gonna be, that are going on inside of the church. But today we're gonna call your attention to one issue in particular. It's in 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse one. Now I'll let you figure out why I thought this was kind of a funny passage to talk through on Mother's Day. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. So this is Paul writing to the church. And of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the entire batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so you may be a new unleavened, unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. So as Paul writes this, as Paul writes this, you can hear how shocked he is to even have to, have to write the first sentence. He said, it's actually reported to me. Like guys, for real, this got reported to me that there's stuff going on that the pagans don't even tolerate. Like he's out of his mind right now thinking, are you joking me? Like, I have to go back and revisit this. I have to go back and tell you that it's not okay for a son to be having a physical relationship with his stepmom. That's what I have to write to you all about. Are you kidding me right now? So let me take a second and just say, look, if you think the Christian church is messed up now, it's always been messed up, okay? We are human people. We are sinful people people and we thank God for the grace that he gives us day in and day out that it's not about us it is about God so Paul is absolutely shocked that he has to write this first sentence like he's dumbfounded here like guys I can't even believe what I've heard is true but I've heard it's true so I need to address this head on so a man like I said a man in the church is having a physical relationship with his stepmom and not only was the church just standing idly by the church just seems like that they were justifying what was going down. That they were almost proud of it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's happening. In verse three, Paul tells us that he was judging this guy. And he was judging this guy hard. Like, like if anyone should be judged, it was this guy. And he was refusing to repent. And Paul tells us in verse five that he should simply be turned over to Satan. 
Like that's how hard Paul is judging this guy. So when we talk about Matthew 7, 1, it says, do not judge lest ye be judged. Well, time out. How come Paul then has the ability to judge this guy incredibly harshly? He says, man, give him to Satan. Don't even eat with people like this. Man, that sounds, that sounds pretty judgy. And then verse six, we see some of the arrogance that seems to have been happening in the church because Paul tells them that your boasting is no good. Your boasting's no good. Don't you know that just a, a little bit of yeast can change the entire makeup of the dough? Just a little bit of yeast can change the entire makeup of the dough. In other words, don't you understand that even a little bit of sin even a little bit of sexual promiscuity, even a little bit of pride, even a little bit of greed, even a little bit of arrogance, even a little bit of gossip, even a little bit of backbiting can change the entire makeup of the church? Don't you understand that? Paul's reminding them that this is not okay. He tells them in verse seven to get rid of the yeast, Toss it out, get rid of it so you can be unsullied, so you can be pure, so you can be acceptable. Get rid of the sin that is amongst you so it doesn't spoil the rest of you. That's what Paul is continually pushing at here. And then Paul presses into him even harder in verses nine and following. Right, he tells them not to associate with people like that man. Don't even associate. If anyone claims to be a brother or sister and does things like this, don't associate with them. Don't even have lunch with them. If they have an ongoing sin issue in their life that's not being checked, that they're not willing to budge on then, then it's better for you to get rid of them altogether than to get yourself pulled down with them. That's what Paul is telling the first Corinthian church, the church in Corinth here in first Corinthians. So Paul's reminding them of these things, that things that he set up in the church before he left. And he reminds them, like I said, the, the church in Corinth was like this big city with all of these spiritual people, these pagan religions, all of this stuff. And so it's no surprise that in the first couple verses of chapter five, he tells them like things are happening in the church that the pagans aren't even okay with. Yet you're doing, I shouldn't even have to remind you about this because not, not only is this not okay in the church, this isn't okay anywhere in your city. And you're standing by it. You're arrogantly standing by it saying, yep. But the church tiptoed around an ongoing sin issue simply because they were part of the church. The church tiptoed around an ongoing sin issue simply because they were part of the church. And if you wanna frustrate people who take their faith incredibly seriously, allow people inside the church to continue in their sin simply because they're part of the church. I hate church politics, absolutely hate them. Not a fan, never been a fan. But ultimately, when I stepped into this role, I understood that, you know, at some point I have to play the game. And it's unfortunate for a 34-year-old senior pastor to have to play that game. And it's not something that, that is just our church. It's every single church in America, probably every single church in the world. Because of the fact that the church is broken, we are broken. Thank God we are saved in our brokenness, but we're broken. 
And Paul has the guts here to call this out when no one else in the church in Corinth was willing to. Church politicking was happening back then as well. It happens today, it happens then, it's gonna happen until Jesus comes back. But Paul refused to be a part of it. The Bible tells us uh, in more than one place that we're supposed to come down on these types of people hard, but in love. These types of people who are continuing in their sin, but we're supposed to talk to them in love. Galatians 6 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Or 1 Timothy 5, verses one and two. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So there's instructions then on how to talk to these people. 2 Timothy 4, two, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. People love that part. We always leave out the second part of this, this verse, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The Bible is actually explicitly clear about the fact that not only are we supposed to judge people, it even gives us instructions on how to do it. Here's where we have our sticking point though. People who call themselves followers of Christ should have a standard of holiness for those inside the church and they should have a standard of love for those outside the church. That's the sticking point. Because church, we've gotten it backwards for far too long. We've gotten it backwards. That we have merely a standard of love for those people inside the church, which we should. But we have a standard of holiness for those people outside the church. And that's contrary to what scripture says. We talked about the idea of holiness last week how we as Christians are supposed to be a royal priesthood, a people set apart, continually becoming holy as we pursue Christ. So for those people who call Jesus their savior, our job as Christians is to hold other Christians accountable. That's our responsibility. But for those who don't know Jesus as their savior, for those of you who are here because mom simply invited you to come this morning and you have no personal relationship with Jesus, we should have zero expectations that they should behave as Christians should. Zero expectations. If we go back to 1 Corinthians and actually finish the story in chapter five and look at verses 12 and 13, Paul even tells us this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And it's like, he just laid it out for us. Like what business is of mine to judge those people outside the church? Are you not among those? Or are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And Paul reminds us that it isn't his job to judge those people who aren't a part of the church. That's God's job not yours, not mine. His job is to, or our job is to merely love those people exactly where they are until they come into a saving, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And at that point, we can raise the bar. But until then, your standard for those people who are outside the church should be love and love only. 
people seeking something, people who are looking for some sort of meaning, people who are looking some sort of belonging, people who need God desperately. Our job isn't to come over and remind them that we don't accept them as they are. Our job is to do the opposite. Our job is to simply love them regardless where they are, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they look like or who they love or who they voted for or what they believe about the environment. It's our job to simply love them because today isn't about them though. Today is about how we are supposed to judge those who call themselves followers of Christ. Because our job isn't to judge the world, our job is to judge ourselves. Our job isn't to judge the world, our job is to judge ourselves. And church, somewhere down the line, we lost our courage. Somewhere down the line, we lost our courage as a church. We lost the ability to talk about meaningful things, to talk about things that are difficult for us. In order for us to pretend like we have everything together, we refuse to enter into difficult conversations with those who share a faith with us. In favor of, we decided that we were just gonna be nice to everybody rather than doing our best to become holy. We lost our ability to sit over a cup of coffee and have conversations that are meaningful. I wanna talk to you about one of the biggest spiritual growth moments in my life. And it's also something that's incredibly difficult for me to talk about. So I figured as long as we're talking about authenticity, I'm gonna talk about authenticity here, okay? Growing up with the internet, like, uh, like most millennials, I didn't have to chase down pornography. Pornography actually consistently chased me down. It wasn't difficult to find and it, wasn't and it was incredibly easy to hide. And church, I've talked about this from the pulpit before. Church, we have a problem that two thirds of men, statistically two thirds of men who are sitting in this room have a problem with pornography. And so for years, I struggled with lust, I struggled with pornography, and I wish I could say that when I got married, it went away completely, but it didn't until I had a hard conversation with my wife. I had a hard conversation with two of my best friends and I signed up for a website that tracked my internet searches and websites that I went to and set up a report of, that website would then set up a report of questionable sites that I had viewed that week to people of my choice. So it would track everything I did. If the website was questionable, it would send a report to people of my choosing. And I chose my two best friends in the entire world. I made a questionable decision one time after I had signed up. And I went to a website I shouldn't have gone to, and two days later, I got a phone call from one of my buddies. My report had come through. And I answered the phone and was excited, and I was like, hey buddy, what's going on? Long time no talk, how are you? And on the other end of the phone, he just said, Pete, we need to talk about what we were looking at this week on your computer. And the air was completely and totally taken out of my lungs. And I knew that I had messed up. And I knew that I had messed up. And for the first time in my life, someone decided to stand up and hold me accountable for the sin that continued to be pervasive in my life. 
and it stung. And it was not fun. But I am incredibly grateful for a friend and a brother in Christ who wasn't okay with me continuing to walk in sin because he had a responsibility to his savior. He had a responsibility to call me on it. This story isn't about me and my sin. This story is about my friend and his willingness to call me onto the carpet, to nail me to the wall. Because as a Christian, I'm called to a higher standard. As Christians, we are called to a higher standard. You see, church, we've traded in the ability to be kind to each other for being nice to one another. Being nice is ignoring that piece of kale that's stuck in someone's tooth as you're talking to them. Being kind is telling that person that they have a piece of kale stuck in their tooth so they don't go talk to other people with kale in their teeth. There's a small difference there between being nice and being kind, but church, we need to stop being nice and start being kind to one another. We need to stop being nice and start being kind to one another. And being kind is harder. And being kind is more intentional. And being kind requires you to check your own heart before going to another Christian. It requires you to make sure you don't have a plank in your eye before pointing out the speck in somebody else's. Being kind requires you to be bold and not passive. And let me just tell you, being kind isn't fun at all. But being kind is 100% worth it. There are people of all backgrounds in here. The question is this morning is how does this apply to you? Simple. For those people who are a part of the church, and that's the capital C church, not FBH, you need to start having hard conversations with other people who are a part of the church. We need to start having hard conversations with people who are a part of the church. If someone gossips too much, tell them. Talk to them in love. In as kind a way as you can possibly do that they are perpetuating and circulating rumors that probably aren't true. So either go talk to the person that it pertains to or stop talking. If you know someone who has issues with their language and they call themselves a Christian, have a conversation with that person because saying it's just the way I talk isn't good enough, church. If you know someone who is struggling with lust or pornography and they call themselves a Christian, please, church, have a conversation with them. It is your responsibility, not theirs. It is yours. Have a conversation with them. If you know someone who acts like they have their life together on Sunday and then is drinking and smoking and doing drugs the rest of the week, call them onto the carpet in as loving as a way as you possibly can. We have to get better at getting holier, church. We have to get better at getting holier and that doesn't happen by being nice. It happens by being kind. And by the way, this isn't about what, uh, this isn't about your opinion about what you think is right or wrong. You don't go and talk to people and call people onto the carpet based on what you think is right or wrong. 
This is about the biblical foundational truths that when violated by those people who follow Jesus, they need to be confronted, they need to be rebuked, and they need to be loved. For those people who aren't a part of the church, those people who don't say that Jesus is their savior, this means that you're to be loved right where you are. And as you come to know who Jesus is, you get an opportunity to see what he has called us to and the incredible opportunity we all have to become more like Jesus every single day. In church, just imagine what it would look like if this is what the church actually did. If the church actually had hard conversations with one another. If we judged those people inside our ranks and had no standard for those outside the church except to love them well. the word hypocrite would no longer apply to us because we would be looking hard at each other and we would be intentional with our conversations with one another and not simply do a half smile, say good morning and walk away. We would have a community that was dedicated to becoming more like Jesus every single day because we would have conversations that brought people back to his word every single day. We would stop ascribing a standard of living to those who don't believe the same things that we do and begin to ascribe that standard to those who profess a faith in Christ. That's called authenticity. And you wanna know how to grow a church in a world that values nothing? Be real. Because everything around the world is counterfeit. People in my age demographic and lower, those people that we always complain about, those darn millennials and those Gen Xers, no, that's above me. Sorry, Gen Xers in the room. You're like, what do we do? You didn't have the internet, that's what you did. But those people in my age group and below, you want them to approach Jesus, you want them to have a saving faith in Christ, be authentic with what it is that you believe. They're attracted to authenticity. They are attracted to things that are real, not things that are counterfeit. counterfeit. If we are totally authentic with one another, the world will have no option but to take notice. To say, yes, I wanna be a part of that because, because they are real. Christians are authentic. They are talking about what the word of God said. We're not taking what the word of God says passively, that those Christians are, are standing up and actively receiving into their lives the truth that is found in the scriptures. They speak truth into the lives of those who also call him Messiah. It would be a beautiful thing to see a congregation who judged one another according to the word of God and with an urgency like Christ was coming back soon. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we, that's not a Mother's Day message. But God, um, we cling to your truth and we cling to your word and we recognize that it's infallible. We recognize it's inspired by your spirit that every single word in there is intentional. And God, we need to play by the rules, the rules that you've set out for us. 
And so God, I, I just pray that, that we as a church would take that truth and just apply it to our lives. And it stings and it's hurts and it's not fun to talk about. And I, I'm, God, I'm sure I just ruined people's lunches. But God, we also recognize that there needs to be an urgency regarding who we are, who the church is, what it is that we stand for. And God, we stand for your word and we stand for authenticity. And so Father, I pray that we would find spaces to be able to be real, spaces to be able to be authentic, to give us courage in the same way that you gave Caleb courage to call me and say, Pete, we gotta talk because I'm concerned for you. God, I am so thankful for him and for that conversation and for how he continuously calls me every single week to check in on me and make sure that I am, that I am living in accordance with your word. And Father, I am so thankful, so thankful for people like that in my life. And I pray that you would bring people like that in and among our congregation for people to have courage to step up to the plate and recognize that it's more important for us to be holy, it's more important for us to be kind than it is for us to be nice. And so God, even, even those people who don't yet know you in here, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you don't yet know Jesus, and I know this isn't a come to Jesus type of sermon, but if, man, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life in some way this morning, you're like, you know what, I want more. If, if it is true what he said this morning, that believers are supposed to be authentic, that believers are supposed to be real with one another, and that we are supposed to love those who don't yet know Jesus, then I want in. If you, if you want into the faith, it's as simple as, as ABC, one, admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior, that, that we all mess up, we mess up every single day, and I need somebody to help me out. I need someone to save me. And because that we be, we believe that you sent your son to die on a cross on our behalf, to bleed, to die, and to raise again so we could be reconciled to you forever, Father, and see that we would choose to follow you every single day. And that's really what this morning is about, is choosing to follow you, regardless of how difficult it is. God, we said yes to this relationship with you. And so because we said yes, we need to be willing to put the work in to be kind and not just be nice. And so, Father, we love you. And in the midst of this heaviness, God, I uh, thank you for moms. And how moms somehow can, can be kind and make us feel like the greatest person in the world and at the same time <laughs> lecture us and spur us on towards greatness, and spur us on towards you, and, and in just subtle ways help shape our families and love you well. Whether it be talking us through it or showing us what it looks like to have a devotion to you, God, we just thank you for moms and moms everywhere. So Father, we love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. 
Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.